program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. All right, all right. So I have something I want to run by all of you. I know I'm not going to get much feedback on this, but it's something I just want to put out there, okay? So I found this on the internet. It says, a content creator is responsible for providing information and material across any platform or channel. They usually target a specific end user slash audience in specific contexts. A content creator can contribute any format, blogs, news, image, video, audio, email, social updates, and other related content. So (laughs) I recently found out about this term content creator, and I saw that there's a lot of podcasters lately referring to themselves as content creators. And I don't know, like I said, maybe I'm maybe I'm old school, okay? Like I said, like I want to put this out there. Just if anybody wants to relay their perceptions on this back to me, be my guess. But for me to talk into a microphone, you know, record it and then upload it, and sometimes people listen to it, I don't see myself as a content creator. I just see myself as someone who's talking, putting out my opinion. Um, It says, you know, they're responsible for providing information. Okay, well, so I I do a little bit of research on these movies so I can sound smart. But, (laughs) I mean, honestly, my opinion of a movie is my own opinion. And, like, some people will agree, some won't. And that's just, it's it's movies, right? It's same as with books and music and whatnot. Sometimes people agree with you, sometimes they don't. Uh, as for the term content creator, for me, personally, I don't know. I kind of take it as people taking themselves too seriously. And podcasts are supposed to be fun. They're just supposed to be things that we listen to and we go, oh, hey, that's cool, you know, and oh, I agree with you, or no, you're a fucking asshole. Like, <laughs> you know, or sometimes you listen to that podcast and the person talking in the show has something on the tip of their tongue, but they just can't remember it. And you, the audience, you're listening to it going, oh my God, this is so easy. How do you not know this? But I mean, it's just, it's... It's just there for entertainment. I, I never saw it as something other than 
that, but apparently it is. So I don't know. I'm old school. I don't see myself as a content creator. I'm just a movie fan who talks about movies, which is what I'm going to do for the next hour of this show. And why, you know what? Let's just get right into it. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero. This week, we go from ghosts to ghost spaces to vampires. We're going to be all over the place. Welcome back, everyone, to What Lurks Lurks Behind behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul. Which I guess, I don't know, I guess because I call myself Postmortem Paul, maybe I... I do see myself as somewhat of a creator. I created that character, but I don't know. It's partially character and partially really me. But (laughs) how much is which of the other? You'll never know. Uh, Anyways, welcome back, everybody. It's episode 116. This week, we're diving back into horror. Somewhat, anyways. I mean, animated horror. Haven't done too many of those. Uh, So this week we're going to be talking about a little short film. I say short film. um, I'll explain more in a bit, but this was apparently part two of three. And you're like, why does he always go for the middle ones? Because I did that with Blade, right? I went to, you know, Blade 2 instead of going with Blade or Blade Trinity. But um, yeah, this is kind of a weird one because it's a part two, but it's really not. Anyways, from 2000, we'll be talking about the vampire anime flick known as Blood, The Last Vampire. But quickly, before we get into that, watched a few movies recently that I have some things to say about. Starting with... I know, I'm behind the times on this. I was late to the party. I get it. I've never been one that's much for theaters, though, so even before this whole shithouse went up in flames, I still may have not seen this one in the theaters, but I saw it now. came out back in November. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yes, I'm finally going to talk about it. And I will still keep the spoilers to a minimum, because there are a few people who still have not seen this. And you know what? That happens, Uh, especially in the times we live in. Currently, right now, in the area I live in, theaters aren't even open. So, (laughs) you know, we resort to the internet. But anyways, Ghostbusters Afterlife finally was released digitally in a high-definition version and whatnot. Not a cam version or anything. And I was like, all right, it's time to take this one in, see what all the hype is about. And all I will say is this. Damn you, Ghostbusters movie. How dare... I'm supposed to laugh with this movie. I'm supposed to laugh at this movie. I did not think I was going to start chopping onions. I mean, I guess I should have sort of seen that coming, but I didn't. I will say this, though. This is the Ghostbusters movie we should have gotten in 2016 instead of that other abomination, that thing we will call a thing. I know there's people out there that do like that movie. You know what? You're not wrong in your own opinion. For me, it didn't work. And <laughs> I will admit, I have not actually watched the full movie. I watched Cinema Sins, Tear the Movie Apart. And just from that alone, I was like, yeah, I've seen enough. Not for me. Um, but, I mean, let's stay within the happy realms, right? So we have Ghostbusters from 1984. We have Ghostbusters 2. 
And now we have Ghostbusters Afterlife, in my opinion, perfect fucking trinity. It is the perfect trilogy. Uh, If we get more, I might be okay with that. Preferably if it's a sequel with BB Podcast and Gary Gruberson. Yeah, just give me those three characters and I'm set. They, They were fucking hilarious. Oh my god. What a great little movie that was. And I I said I would keep spoilers to a minimum, but I am going to throw this out there. Beautiful tribute to Harold Ramis. Absolutely amazing. Yes, I might have um, maybe sobbed once or twice. Uh, Yeah, it it definitely hit in the feels. (laughs) What a wonderful movie. What a wonderful tribute of a movie. I will admit, I am with the majority on this, and I'm not trying to knock him as an actor, but Finn Wolfhard, I I didn't hate him. He's there. But I I, I don't see the amazingness of him, especially, maybe we got spoiled, because that first season of Stranger Things, the kid was on fucking point. And since then, I feel like he hasn't been able to reach that level. That might not be his fault, though. I mean, that can come from screenwriting and everything else. Like, so, I mean, I, it's like I said, I'm not knocking him, but having him in the movie didn't do anything for me. Um, it, it, it all came down to, let's face it, Paul Rudd is amazing. The only, the only thing missing from this movie is Paul Rudd strapping on a proton pack himself. I mean, I get it. I saw the role he's supposed to be playing but i was like put a proton pack on him come on i just got to see this happen um but yeah i wow what a movie uh i really have no complaints i mean i i nitpick about finn wolfhard but honestly he wasn't even that bad like i mean the movie for me is a nine out of ten like it was when it was done i was like i'm watching that again (laughs) like holy shit i think i've watched it maybe three or four times now like it's it's awesome i absolutely love this movie i know what was it a couple episodes ago i did my top tens for the year had i actually watched this in 2021 it would have been way at the top of the list probably in the second or third spots um because boy behind the door really was the movie that i was like holy shit that was good (laughs) uh it took me by complete surprise but yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife, well worth it. For those of you who had seen it before and kept telling me you're going to love it, yes, you were absolutely right. I fucking fell in love with this movie. Okay, so the next movie I'm going to talk about, I can't account for all the reviewers who will ultimately put this down. Uh, This movie did not meet expectations. And, that, and you know, I'm seriously wondering when people are going to stop going into movies with expectations. Cause I think that's really why we have so many people that are just constantly disappointed with films. Stop expecting shit. Go into these movies completely blind and take what, take what you're given. Uh, the movie I'm talking about is scream. Scream 5, but they call it Scream for what I saw. I think it's Nev Campbell, maybe. I can't remember for sure, but I saw someone quoted it as calling it Scream 22, as in, twenty, you know, 2022 kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I, I will say this. If you go into this movie and you're that kind of person that you kind of want to get a feel for what you're walking into and you read reviews before seeing the movie... 
Just take them with a grain of salt. That's all I'm going to say. Because even though most of you should already know this, eh, there's some harsh shit out there about this movie. The thing is, is that with this movie, Scream, Scream 5, whatever the fuck it's actually called. Who knows? It's Scream, apparently. Anyways, with the new movie, it's not needed. And that's the thing. It's sort of like Matrix Resurrections. We really didn't need it. Um, I will say that with Scream, I didn't think it was bad. I didn't walk away from it going, okay, I wasted all my time and stuff. I've seen comments online where one comment I saw was, well, I hated it. That was basically their full review. Um... (laughs) It was like, well, I hated it. Uh, I personally enjoyed it for the most part. There is a few... Um, okay, so the characters. Some of the newer characters I brought into this. I've been trying to explain this to people. I felt like I was watching a Gap commercial. Okay, you know how like you have... And I know that's not a thing. But it makes sense to me. But anyways, you know how you have like all these characters and it's supposed to be like, it almost feels like they're checking off boxes, but the actors are good enough that they can kind of almost, almost fool you into thinking they weren't checking off boxes. Like, you know, okay, we have our strong female, we have our gay character, we have our African American character, we have our Asian character. Okay, so we're good. Here's our group of friends. We're going to put them together and they're going to go hang out. Um, I think that's sort of the problem I had with the newer characters and then the legacy characters, you know, your Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette and whatnot. It's not that they were bad. It was nice seeing them on the screen, but it just felt like it was a different universe with these characters. Um, cause it, it just, they didn't feel themselves and that could possibly come from the huge gap between films too what is it something like what 10 years was it 10 or 11 years between the two films uh scream 4 and scream 5 or whatever i mean it's hard to jump back into a role now there's some things that i've seen where you would never know these characters ever stopped playing them um a, a perfect example of that is charlie cox as daredevil Uh, When he was in Spider-Man No Way Home. Oops, spoilers. Anyways, uh, when he was in Spider-Man No Way Home, like, it seemed like he was just playing, you know, Matt Murdock just the day before. Like, there's no bridge there. With this, I don't know, Sydney and Dewey and Gale just seemed not themselves. It wasn't that it was bad. They just didn't seem... Like, it was the same characters we saw 10 years ago. Uh, I will say this, though, that without Wes Craven being a part of this, still sort of felt like he had a hand in it. Um, the, okay, so apparently Scream is trying to create new words. If you've read any reviews on this movie, you've heard the term meta for sure. Oh my god, like, how many more people are going to fucking throw this word out meta for every fucking movie that's made? But anyways, whatever. But then they created their own word called requill, which is supposed to be, it's like a reboot sequel, so they call it a requill. And I swear Scream started this because I never heard this term before until this movie came out. But anyways, now all of a sudden everybody's using it. So, over, you know, the past couple of weeks and into the further coming weeks, we're going to hear these words get thrown around a lot when people talk about Scream. 
the word I'm attaching to it, I'll say this, it was entertaining, okay? It kept my interest. I, I'll give it that. It kept my interest. It had some nice kills. And the violence and the, the blood and the gore is on par. I, I cannot take away from that. Um, but, hey, I don't know. It, it was just entertaining. Like, I didn't walk away from it feeling like I wasted my time, but at the same time, I didn't feel like... Holy shit, this was the movie I've always been waiting for. Now, I still think Scream 1 and 2 are probably the two best of the whole bloody series. The pacing, I will say, wasn't too shabby, and the score is solid, but it's not the Marco Beltrami score. So that was a little bit of a, you know, deterrent. Uh, Nice callbacks, though, to the previous Legacy films. It stayed modern, mostly in an unannoying manner, although there's a few things where I was like, I hate this generation. But anyways, um, for the most part, it it was pretty solid. I will say this. I do have the first four screams on Blu-ray. I will add this one. I don't know how often I'll watch it, but I will definitely add it to the collection. It wasn't the worst thing I ever saw. I'd say it's about a six or a seven out of ten. Unfortunately, Scream 1 and 2 are like way up there, like in the ten, 9 and 10 area. So, and the thing is, is it, this movie is not going to top those, but again, it's one of those situations where we're not asking it to. We really didn't need this movie, but it exists, and let's just enjoy it. I will say this as of this morning, globally, it's taken right now, uh, is currently sitting at a global. Gross profit of $83 million in just two weeks. So that's not bad. Um, a lot of people are predicting they, they do believe it'll hit $100 million. That's saying something. I know not everybody is going to like this film, but I do have to say, that's saying something, especially in a world right now where half the movie market is shut down again. Like, I know where I live right now, we don't have a theater open in the city. So it's like, yeah, and by the way, you figured out how I watch it. But anyways, yeah, so for for a movie that's out at a time when certain parts of the world are not opening their theaters, that's pretty good. Like, I have to give it that. One more I'm going to talk about quickly, uh, Marvel's Eternals. I know another film from last year. I finally watched it. I'm not going to lie. This, this one and Black Widow were the two Marvel movies that came out recently where I was kind of like, yeah, I'll get to them when I get to them. Here's the thing. This was my initial feeling of the movie after I walked away from it. So Zack Snyder's Justice League, right? Four-hour movie. It felt like it was two and a half hours long. This movie, Marvel's Eternals, is a a two-and-a-half-hour movie that felt like it took a bloody fucking eternity to end. Um, I couldn't beg for death fast enough. (laughs) Here's the thing. So the only thing, one, when I was watching it, how I kept myself awake so I could get to the end of it, all the characters that pop up on the screen, all the actors and whatnot, I kept calling them by names that they played other characters. Like, for example, um, Richard Madden is in this. He plays Icarus. I kept calling him Rob Stark because that's what I knew him best as. I was like, hey, look, it's Rob Stark. And then all of a sudden, Jon Snow's on the screen. And I'm like, oh, hey, look, Jon Snow. So we got two from Game of Thrones, including the person who did the score. I can't say his name, so I'm not going to try. But you know the name. He's famous composer and whatnot. Ramin Jiwadi, I think. Although I'm probably way out in left field on that one. Anyways, 
His name came up in the credits, and I was like, well, that's three from Game of Thrones I've caught. Uh, let's see, Pennywise, the clown, you know, Bill Skarsgård, he's in this movie. Uh, there's that guy from Train to Basan. Um, Don Lee is his name, but you know which guy I'm talking about. He wasn't the father, but he was the guy that was sort of like also sort of enemies with the father at first, but then they sort of became buddies and, you know, st- that sort of thing that happened there. Um, yeah, so that guy, he's in this movie. He plays Gilgamesh. Um, but that was the thing. Like I kept calling them by names of things they'd done elsewhere. Uh, Angelina Jolie is in this movie. I kept calling her hackers. Um, I I don't know. Eternals was okay at best. I will say the end credit scenes, there's two of them. Oh, now they were pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but the movie itself, I don't think, was meant for an audience of my type. Especially for the fact that going into Marvel's Eternals, I, A, didn't know the characters. I never read them in the comics. I didn't know them. And, B, after... I, I've talked with several people about this, and walking away from it, I realized... Uh, my friend Keith said something that was like, You are not wrong, sir. It was when he said, This should have been a Disney Plus series. And I absolutely agree with that because there's too many characters all at once. I mean, we start off with, I think it's something like 10 Eternals, plus you have the humans, plus you have the, the celestial beings, like the, the bigger guys, and whatnot. And there's all these characters being thrown at us. And I'm like, Yeah. Um,. I feel more confused watching the beginning of this than I did Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones had so many characters thrown at me. And I was like, yeah, you're all the same person. But with Game of Thrones, like because it was fleshed out over seasons, by the end of it, I knew every character and who they were related to, what house they came from, who they had a vendetta against and everything. You just remembered it all. With this, it's two and a half hours of a movie that I'm supposed to remember all these characters going, yeah, no. I, Dane Whitmore was the one name that stood out to me. And of course, he's one of the ed- end credit scenes with a certain voice that popped up behind him as he's looking at this blade. And yeah, that was a hint. But the other hint was right away when I heard the voice, I went, oh, Vector. And you're like, Vector? What's he talking about, Vector? Watch Alita Battle Angel and you'll know what I'm talking about. Um... But yeah, like, I understand why Marvel's Eternals exists. It will help future Marvel properties and projects and whatnot. But the thing is, is that it, I, I can't agree more with Keith when he said it should have been a Disney Plus series. Absolutely. I think had this been a series on Disney Plus, six or ten episodes, even eight episodes, whatever... We would have been able to take in all these characters and become more attached to them and whatnot. Because that was the thing. Like, I had a hard time connecting with any of these characters because there's too many of them. Um, and that that was probably my biggest disappointment from it was, why do I care about these characters when we're spending not even sometimes five minutes on them? You know what I mean? So, there's that. I, like I said, the end credit scenes, though, whew, they're fucking awesome so much fun they just lined up a whole lot of fun for future films and possibly series so i'm looking forward to the future of marvel movies even though i am a dc guy but that's another thing too i'm just gonna quickly throw that out there people really gotta stop shitting on dc movies i understand that they're not meant for everybody but then again marvel movies aren't either um anyways 
on that train of thought, let's direct our attention to the world of vampires and demons. In a world that has since passed on an era from the past, it's a time of war, Vietnam War to be specific, but the real war being fought in this film from 2000 is between the things that lurk in the shadows and a daywalker, the last of its kind. Um, And actually, no, I'm not talking Blade this time. We already did that, actually. But this time around, the sword wielder, as I like to call her, is a Japanese girl with a thirst for blood. But she's the good gal. Uh, From 2000, yes. We're going to talk about the digitally animated film from Manga Entertainment. Blood, The Last Vampire. We're going to do the trailer first, and then when we come back, I'm going to break down this little film. There's lots to talk about it. So, back in a stab, blood suckers. Sire, she is the last remaining original. Sire, the orders from the top are to hunt them down no matter what. From the creators of Ghost in the Shell, she's the only remaining original. Leave me alone. Comes the next dimension in digital animation. Brace yourself for an all-out assault on the senses. Manga Entertainment presents... The all-new Japanese animation thriller. Three of them. Blood, the last vampire. All right, so before I get into talking about Blood, the last vampire, and I figured since I'm talking about an animated movie, I thought this was kind of a good spot to mention this. Uh, recently, Bruce Campbell was at a Los Angeles Comic Con, and there's a Small little report that's floating around the internet that nothing's confirmed, but it's kind of cool to mention. Uh, More or less, Bruce Campbell has said that physically he could never play the role of Ash now. Like, Like, he's just, he's at that point now where he knows physically he couldn't do it. But someone did ask him at the Comic Con if he would ever voice the character in an animated form and basically his reply was well i've still got the voice i know it's nothing to get super excited about because i mean nothing's been confirmed nothing's even been discussed or talked about or anything but he has he has voiced ash in that upcoming evil dead game that's coming out the the video game for xbox and playstation so I don't know. Like, I'm kind of cool about this. I think if they did it into, like, if they did another Evil Dead chapter, 
and did it animated, I would totally be on board for something like that. So I thought, well, I saw it earlier today. I did actually post it on the Facebook page. So if you want to go check out the article, um, it like I said, it's nothing confirmed, nothing concrete. I mean, I don't even think possibly even him and Sam and Rob Tapper haven't even sat down to talk about this. I mean, it just it was one of those cool things where I'm like, if that happened, I'd be all right with it. So thought I would throw that out there. But now let's dial it back to the year 2000. Blood the Last Vampire was first initially released in Canada. Actually, July 28th, the year 2000, at the Fantasia Film Festival. That's when it got its first theatrical viewing. And then it would be about five, six months later in Japan... Uh, November 18th, 2000, it would see its first theatrical debut over there. As for like the UK and the USA and other areas like that, they didn't get it until 2001. Um, as a matter of fact, North America got the VHS and DVD release August 26, 2001. And that included Canada and the United States. That's when the VHS and the DVD first were released. But it did have small, minor, little theatrical releases, primarily at film festivals. Like, in the UK, the Dead by Dawn Horror Film Festival was when they got and that was April 1st. <laughs> nice April Fool's Day gift, but, um, yeah, like, it didn't have a major theatrical release. Um, it, this is more a, I guess you'd call it straight to video, even though it wasn't, but... Pretty much that's where most of the hype was generated from was the VHS and DVD releases. Now, there there is some Japanese names that will get mentioned now. I'm going to do my ultimate best to try and say all these names properly. Now, there's a lot of English names as well and, you know, whatnot, but I, I will do my best. That's all I can promise. Um... It was, pra- <laughs> it was funny, I was doing my notes last night and I was kind of practicing the names out loud while I was doing this, so... Anyways, directed by Hiroyuki Kitakubo and he has worked... He's done different aspects of different projects. He worked on... Uh, well, he directed a segment in the Robot Carnival anime and he also... I believe was the director behind the Ghost in the Shell video game from 1997. Now, he was also an animator on the 1988 epic Akira. Everybody knows Akira. Uh, He was one of the key animators on that. And he was a writer for the six-part miniseries from 1989, Angel Cop. Which I might add is amazing, by the way. It's a really good cyberpunk anime. It's a six-part miniseries and whatnot. He was the writer for that. He also worked on the anime film Macross, Do You Remember Love? And he was a writer and director for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure from 1993. So, stays within the realm of anime, but um, he's done a lot of, like, big-name anime. So, he was definitely a good director to get for this. Uh, Written by Kenji Kamayama. He wrote the screenplay, and the characters were basically created by... Katsuya Terada. Now, Kenji, if 
you've heard that name before. Famously known for all the work he's done with Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex and its subsequent uh, seasons and films because there's been both anime films from it and there was two seasons, well, actually three, if you include uh, Standalone Complex 2045, which season two is dropping sometime this year, actually. Um, he's also worked on Morabito, the Guardian of the Spirit, uh, Cyborg 009, Blade Runner Black Lotus. You've heard me talk about that one recently. And he's currently working on The Lord of the Rings, The War of the Rohirrim, um, which I don't know a whole lot about that yet. I haven't really looked, uh, I haven't dug deep into that one yet. But he's currently working on that one. He also did some animation work for Akira. He also did animation work for Kiki's Delivery Service and Tiny Toon Adventures, How I Spent My Summer Vacation, which is a classic VHS. Katsua, Katsuya, sorry, on the other hand, has worked on various aspects of films like Godzilla Final Wars, Hellboy, uh, Cyber Ninja, and he was credited for the 2009 live-action version of Blood, The Last Vampire, uh, basically for creating the characters. Yeah, the screenplay was done by someone else for that. This film was produced by Yu-Gi-Oh! Nagasaki and Mamoru Oshii. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! also produced uh, Vampire Hunter D in 1995. Sorry, 1985. Uh, but most of his work has come from the sound department and production of many anime uh, films and series and video games. Mamoru, on the other hand, was the director who gave us probably one of the most iconic anime films of all time, Ghost in the Shell, uh, as well as being involved with standalone complex series, Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence, uh, the video game for Blast of Blood... Oh, wow, talk a little bit slower, Paul. You're speeding up too fast. I gotta lecture myself sometimes. I talk too fast, and then all my letters get booed. Bleh. What was that from? Uh, Hotel Trans. Bleh. I do not speak. Blah, blah, blah. I actually do. <laughs> because I try to talk too fast. So, Mamoru also wa- worked on the video game for Blood, The Last Vampire. And he was the co-planner for the TV series Blood Plus. Or Blood Positive. Music by Yoshihiro Ike. Uh, who worked on other efforts like Sonic X, Ergo Proxy, which I'm currently in the middle of a rewatch right now, uh, Cobra the Animation, Cyborg 009 Call of Justice, and Be the Beginning. Now, let's move on to our starring cast. This is probably one of the easiest casts I've ever had to go through because technically there's three main characters and then a lot of additional voices. So first off, we have Yuki Kudo as Saya. Saya is our vampire slayer, basically. Uh, She's most commonly known from Memoirs of a Geisha and Rush Hour 3. She also had a small role in the Masters of Horror series in the episode Imprint that was written by Mick Garris and directed by Takashi Miike. Uh, and Takashi is well known for movies like Itchy the Killer and Audition. Joe Ramersa as David. He's a voice actor from many great anime 
uh, film series and video game properties. He's worked on Fist of the North Star, Akira, Ninja Scroll, Street Fighter II, the animated movie, uh, various Ghost in the Shell films and episodes, Armitage the Third, and he was also part of the video game Resident Evil 5. And Rebecca Forstat as Sharon. She also worked on the anime TV movie Tomb of Dracula, uh, various Mobile Suit Gundam projects, Robotech from 1985. It's a classic. Absolutely awesome. Captain Harlock and the Queen of a Thousand Years, Akira, Goku Midnight Eye, which that's another really good one. That's a good cyberpunk one. If you guys like your cyberpunk, uh, Goku Midnight Eye is really fucking good. Uh, standalone, uh, standalone Complex from Ghost in the Shell series. Uh, she was a voice of Atachi Koma. Other voice actors in this included Stuart Robinson, Akira Koyeyama, uh, Steve Bloom, there's a really famous name there, uh, and Paul Carr. The runtime for Blood the Last Vampire is 48 minutes long. Not rated, although there are scenes of violence and gore, brief nudity, language, and frightening and intense scenes. Ooh. Previously available on VHS. Um, yep. It, uh, you can still find it on VHS if you're looking on, like, eBay and whatnot, but, uh, I don't believe it's actually out for sale in, you know, new format anymore, except it's still available on DVD and on Blu-ray as well as digitally now. I believe, uh, like, Google Movies and stuff like that, they have it. The synopsis for Blood, The Last Vampire... At the Yokota Air Force Base in Japan, a nervous American military is on the brink of the Vietnam War. But a greater threat exists within the walls of the heavily guarded compound. Vampires. A team of top-secret undercover agents dispatches a mysterious young woman to destroy them. She is the last remaining original. And for this segment of the show, I'm calling this There Can Only Be One. Blood or Blade? Uh, I'll explain more of that in a bit. First off, though, I do want to say, so in the year 2000, this was the first fully digitally animated film from Japan. Uh, I believe Ghost in the Shell had aspects of it that were digitally animated, but it was still done a lot in the old conventional ways of, you know, drawn frame by frame by hand and whatnot. It, it incorporated some digital effects, but this was the first fully digitally animated film. Uh, there is no separate English and Japanese soundtracks. Like, okay, so many times you, you'll get a Japanese film or a Korean film or whatever, and they'll have different dubbings, right? They'll have the original sound in Japanese or Korean, but then you get an English dub, and you get a French dub, an Italian dub, and stuff. You know, so on and so forth. With this, there's only one dub. And the English and Japanese language are both used in that dub. So sometimes characters are speaking in Japanese and you get subtitles and other times you get English, but 
it was only the one dubbing track. And the reason for that was because eight of the 11 main characters are voiced by English-speaking actors. Um, the other three actors that were used uh, would switch between Japanese and English depending on who they were talking to in in the film. So it was sort of unique that it was done that way. This is also, if I remember correctly, this is the first one of the first films. I don't believe it was the absolute first, but it wasn't in it wasn't inspired by a, a manga. The manga came after this. Um it wasn't before. And this okay, so here's the thing about this movie is that this you're watching this film Blood the Last Vampire is actually part 2. It's kind of interesting the way it was done because it was originally supposed to be a 3 episode OAV or original animated video. Uh, it was supposed to be a series, but due to the lack of time and money, only the middle segment was animated and given theatrical distribution and DVD and Blu-ray, obviously, later on. So that's the thing, is that when you're watching this, you're only getting the middle part. Um, like I mentioned about Angel Cop, for example, with six episodes, that was meant to be done that way that it was a six episode OAV same with Armitage the third they've done that before um Goku Midnight Eye is you know two different OAVs and whatnot well this was supposed to be three um production IG's president Mitsu Hisa Ishikawa he um he actually wanted to produce a new pro okay so his whole idea was that with this was he wanted to make a new project that was an original concept rather than being an adaptation of an existing anime or manga, as I already mentioned that. So what he did, he got, he got in touch with Mamoru Oshii. He was responsible for ghost in the shell. He wanted to see if he could help with any ideas at the time. Mamoru was, he was running a series of lectures that he was teaching new filmmakers how to create their own projects. So he asked his students, basically, he said, okay, come up with some ideas. Uh, the production IG wants to, you know, do this, this thing. They don't want to base it off of something that already exists. They want to create something new. So Kenji Kamayama and Junichi Fujisaki, in his class, came up with the idea of a schoolgirl in a sailor suit wielding a samurai sword. That was the initial idea so you're sitting there saying well that's not much like blade no but a little bit later i'm going to explain something about that so anyways then they bring in who hiroyuki Kitako, kita kubo like i said i'm really going to try my best with this guys uh he was brought in to direct um the 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 anime and whatnot and he called up on katsua tarada to come in with the character de designs basically so Hiroyuki does say that both Dracula and Buffy were his inspirations for this. But knowing the storyline and how everything takes place in this, one can't help but notice also similar um, beats, so to speak, from a certain American film from 20th Century Fox and Marvel that came out only one year before this. Keep in mind, Blade came out in 1998 or 99, late 98 or 99, and that was starring the great Wesley Snipes. Um, 
This follows up a year later, and then technically two years later in 2001 when it gets its, you know, full sale DVD and VHS release and whatnot. There's a lot of similarities, and I'll talk about those in just a few seconds. I swear I'm not I'm not screwing with you guys, but since its release, Blood the Last Vampire has inspired a trilogy of light novels, as they call them, sort of like mangas, but there it's a style of Japanese adult like young adult novels that are primarily targeted targeted at high school and middle school students um it also two anime series came out of this and two video games and there is the live action adaptation which i want to quickly highlight on that just for a few minutes and then we'll get back to the whole anime because the 2009 film is actually it's so it's unfairly criticized, okay? Like, the thing is, is, okay, so you got this live-action adaptation. It came, It was produced by Bill Kong, who did Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So it's going to have that feel to it, first off. And then originally it was meant to be directed by Ronnie Yu. Uh, if you're familiar with that name, Bride of Chucky and Freddy vs. Jason should be two that pop in your head right away. Now, he was replaced by Chris Nahon, who did Kiss of the Dragon. So again, still staying within the martial arts world and whatnot. They had to take this 2000 anime that's only 50 minutes long and stretch it out to an hour and a half long. So they added certain elements to the to the story. They changed a few things and whatnot. I'm sure at this point by then, they had also tapped into the animes and the novels and whatnot. So what... When when the live action movie comes out, it first starts off. It almost seems like it's like doing a lot of nods and homages to the original anime, but then it sort of changes things and it goes off on its own story. And personally, I like the film. Okay, but the thing is, is where a lot of the criticism comes from is the blood in the film, like the actual blood that the creatures spill when she kills them, is CGI and horribly CGI. Like I mean you almost get the feeling it was intentionally done to look that bad. Um, there is some practical effects, but not much. A lot of it is CGI in this film. Now, the thing is, is the, the fight scenes were also done in that way, sort of like a kill bill kind of feel where, you know, wires were involved in certain kicks and certain twirls and stuff like that. You can tell there were wires involved. You can tell it's got that old school martial arts feel to it and whatnot. So, Sometimes that gets a bit of criticism as well because people were, at this point, a lot of people were expecting like Matrix kind stuff. And even that, the Matrix itself, some of those fight scenes had wires. Sure, they were hidden in the screen and whatnot, but it still was done in that style. Anyways, it gets some criticism for that as well. The thing is, is that the live action film had several bigger name actors attached to it. We're talking like Liam Cunningham from Game of Thrones, Colin Salmon from Resident Evil, Doctor Who, Arrow, Resident Evil. Um, Allison Miller is in this from Terra Nova and Devil's Do. She was in this. Uh, Carrie Payton was in it, uh, Walking Dead. He played Ezekiel, obviously. And then there was the South Korean actress and model, um, Jun Ji-yoon. I think I'm saying her name right. Uh, she's Saya. And she was also in the film The Uninvited. Live-action film. Like I say, it gave nods to the anime in terms of look and story and whatnot. 
But because it expanded it into a longer feature, it threw a lot of different twists into it and whatnot. And like I said, what with the look of the blood, it gets a lot of criticism. A lot of people shit on this movie, as we do with anime to live action adaptations. Almost none of them ever turn out the way, you know, we, the audience, again, this is a whole expectation thing, right? People expect to get something and when they don't get it, they're upset with it. So that's my say on the live action film. With the release of Blood, and we're talking now the 2000 anime, my first viewing of it was solely because of the name and the artwork. The artwork of the DVD, she had a cool, sleek-looking Saya on the cover, and I just loved the title, Blood, The Last Vampire. Now, it was weird because when I, when I first saw it, I never actually put two and two together that Blood and Blade sound very much similar, and nor did I expect that you know, that I would start making the comparisons between the two, but eventually, with time, I did. Now, I did get my hands on the VHS later, but the DVD is the one that I first experienced it through. Um, and the runtime is what threw me off, because when I, when I rented it for the first time, I didn't look to see how long it was. I mean, I just assumed it was the length of a typical anime film. You know, usually 75 minutes to 90 minutes long. So, not paying attention to that, I'm watching it, and all of a sudden, it's done. And I'm like, wait, what? It, we only, we're only at 50 minutes. What, what just happened? So, I, I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, uh, did the DVD I rent, was it faulty? Uh, is, there, is there another part that I'm supposed to find on the disc? Like, I'm looking for a chapter one and chapter two. You know, sort of wondering, like, what, what just happened here? No, it's a 50-minute movie. And I didn't know that at first. So I walked away from it feeling like this. You know, the animation, the film is gorgeous. Like, it's just, it, it pops. And when this, I'm saying it pops for a very dark anime that is filled with a lot of gray, black, and red. And even that, like the red, like the, the blood of the vampires is sort of done differently. That it's almost like red and black mixed, like to give that like darker coagulated look. So, I mean, whatever, it, it, it still, it looked amazing. I mean, I remember walking away from it going, okay, that was a gorgeous looking movie. Uh, the story, that was sort of, I don't want to say it was a detracting point for me, but when, when you're watching it and you don't realize you're watching the middle act. So, I mean, I, at first I'm being unaware of this, you know, I'm, I'm watching it going, all right, well, that was really good, but there's a lot left to be answered. So, of course, I'm thinking, okay, is there a part two coming out? Is there a part three? And I kept looking around for years. I was wondering what was, what was going on with this. And even at that, like, there's two anime series. There's Blood Plus or Blood Positive, and then there's Blood C. And... I couldn't find them for like the longest time. I know nowadays with the internet, you can find anything, but I haven't actually dove into them yet just because I'm constantly watching anything and everything and I'm all over the place. <laughs> so I mean, eventually one day, like I do have a Funimation account and I believe it's Blood Sea, I think is on Funimation. So I, I will get to it eventually, but I can't comment on that right now. Um, I can only assume that when the live action movie came out that they probably pulled some of their story from the anime series or the books that followed as well. Um, 
in terms of this movie again, like the voice acting is decent enough, but it's really weird. It has this almost like a slow feeling. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've watched certain animes before and the dubbing from Japanese to English, sometimes there's like spaces in between the dialogue because of the sometimes Japanese can say a very short thing, but with a lot of syllables <laughs> and you translate that to English and it's like three syllables long. So it feels like there's like gaps. That's kind of what this felt like, which was weird because the English Japanese dub, the two of them being mixed together as one is, was the only dub to be initially released. So it, it had that weird feeling to it. And I mentioned how, Dracula and Buffy were two of the inspirations for the film. Now I will talk about how Blade, to me, seems more like it was the inspiration than even Dracula or Buffy. Because, for example, you have a vampire slayer who is part human, part vampire. That's not Buffy. Um, that's Blade. Uh, fighting an underworld of demons. Again, okay, they, they both can be sort of that. But here's the thing. So, in Blade... If you remember the first film, when Blade is like killing the vampires and whatnot, and all of a sudden there's an, an innocent who's brought into it, who witnesses the slaying of the vampires and whatnot, and becomes wrapped up in the story. Then you have the character of David, who is like very similar to Whistler or Giles, like a watcher of sorts. And then you have the aspect of like, okay, the whole reason the vampire slayer exists why they have their motives and whatnot is due to their parents being killed by the vampires something that is more well definitely more like blade than buffy because buffy's mom was alive until season five of the show uh the sad thing about this anime though is that the whole okay saya's mother is you know killed by the vampires supposedly anyways this is something we don't learn until the later aspects of the story came out um, definitely shown in the live-action adaptation of Blood, hence giving Saya a reason to want to kill the Onijin, which is her main villain in the live-action film. Though, in that version, we also find out eventually that the Onijin is apparently Saya's mother, or so she claims and whatnot. But the thing is, is like, okay, so both Blade and Blood, you know, they believe that they have to kill the vampires because the vampires killed their parents. That's something that wasn't very Buffy-like. Um, so, I don't know. When I watch Blood, and as the years have gone on, and I've, I've you know looked into like the comparisons and whatnot, I do get where Dracula and Buffy did inspire this. Like, I'm not saying I, I, I don't get that, but at the same time, I felt... It was more like Blade, especially being that Blade came out so closely to when Blood came out. Um, other things that I will highlight, though, like, for example, the score by Yoshihiro Ike. It does its part in setting the tone for the film. Absolutely. I will not take that away. It really does come down to the visuals, though, as to, you know, how what set the whole environment and tone and whatnot. But the score is actually pretty good in this. Uh, very subtle in its own way. Like, it's not, it's not very booming and in your face. But at the same time, it just makes it haunting enough. Um, the other thing I will add, like, this, this film takes place at Halloween. 
So that's kind of cool too. Uh, and being a guy like myself who loves anything that takes place at Halloween, like uh, ultimately I'm like, oh, you get two points for that. Uh, <laughs> the vampires themselves. Okay. So their look, their, their whole aesthetic and whatnot, very evil and vicious. Here's the cool thing though, is that these vampires can grow wings and they can fly. And I definitely get an underworld evolution feel from that. Uh, if you remember that film, Underworld uh, Underworld Evolution, how Marcus could grow the wings and he could fly and whatnot. I definitely get that in this. Um, it's a quick story. Like I said, it's 50 minutes long, obviously. So it is a bit quicker. Uh, it really is a shame that due to the time and money, uh, like the financial woes, basically, that it didn't get flushed out to the three-part OAV we were supposed to get. Which, for me personally, when I when I was thinking about that, I'm like, okay, so this part came out first. If they had done that, I kind of wonder, like, the order that the the episodes would have gone. Like, would it have been like, okay, so here's part two, and then we'll go back to part one and show the history and then dive into part three and get our climax and our finale or would they have done it like ginger snaps well at least that's the first thing i thought of where it was like you got part two and part three so you have like present day and then you know the next part and then we jump all the way back to the prequel to show the whole story which i know many films have done that ginger snaps was the first one that popped in my head for that I was kind of wondering about that, but we'll never know because it never happened. Um, critically, for the most part, when it came to reviews and whatnot, this film has received more positive than negative praise, at least for the most part, uh, in the first week of its North American release. So VHS and DVD, when it first came out, the DVDs, they sold over 70,000 DVDs and 30,000 VHS copies within the the first week of its North American release. So that's 100,000 copies were distributed amongst North America just in the first week. So that's pretty cool. I, that, to me, says, you know, a lot of people really liked what they saw. Uh, director James Cameron, I mean, he came out and he was even quoted as saying, you know, digital imaging has entered a new era. The world will come to consider this work as the standard of top quality in digital animation. This is coming from the guy who gave us an amazing live-action adaptation of Alita Battle Angel, obviously with Richard Rodriguez as well. But, I mean, that's some praise. Because, obviously, James Cameron knows his anime and whatnot. And when he's turning around and saying, you know, this is top quality, this is what people will look to for what they want to do with their future projects and whatnot... That's, that's saying a lot. Now, of course, then there's Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. Yeah, uh, they don't really hype this film up much. Do we really care? Are we shocked? Are we surprised? I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Robin, uh, Robin, Rotten Tomatoes has it at a measly 50% approval rating, and Metacritic has it even lower at 44% uh, approval rating. Neither site is really a good basis, though, for rating something they probably don't understand. I mean, I don't exactly go running to Rotten Tomatoes when I want to know about what you know people think of a certain anime. I'm more likely to go to an anime site. Uh, IMDb has it at a 6.7 out of 10. I'll be honest, that seems kind of fair. Uh Especially, I think it's because it's only one part of what was supposed to be a three-part story. So I can understand 
it's not going to have some stellar marks to it or whatnot because it's not a complete story. As for the podcast zero rating, well, it looks like this. This is a very sleek looking anime film. It's quick. And like I said, just recently having it take place at Halloween really helps to boost its rating from a guy who loves that time of the year. The score is solid. And while it is a truncated story, it's still decent enough. It's a decent enough story to pass away 50 minutes of your time. Um, The downfall is also that exact same aspect. It's a story. It does leave you wanting more. It leaves a lot up in the air and there's a lot of questions that are unanswered, basically leaving it for the audience to fill in their own blanks. That as much as the, the story is decent and will pass 50 minutes along at the same time, it's not complete. So you do walk away from it going and there's more where, um, all that being said, I will say this. I still fell in love with this the first time I watched it. I've continued to do so to this very day. Uh, I like what I see. I like what it has brought afterwards. Like I said, okay, maybe I haven't watched the series yet, but the fact that those series exist, that there's Blood Plus or Blood Positive, however it's pronounced, and Blood C, I love that there was enough passion that came from this that helped it spawn into more. The two video games I probably will never play. I'm not going to lie to you. I only thought there was one. I didn't even know there was two games. So that tells you how much I was following following along with the video game world. Um, the live action movie, I, I personally like. The final rating that I give this 2000 anime film, I give it 8 out of 10 samurai swords. And the reason why is because as much as it's short, it's quick... It is very beautiful looking. There's enough of a story there that you can enjoy it. And it's just, it's a lot, it, it's a good time killer. You know what I mean? Like not everything has to, you know, wow you to the point where you're like, oh my God, I, I need every minute of two hours of this and I want more and stuff. But I, I like it for what it is. I, and, I'm okay with what this is. Maybe I'd go as low as a 7 out of 10. But I I think it it, it could even be a nostalgia thing with me just because I remember watching it, you know, 20 years ago going, wow, that was fucking amazing. And maybe that's why I tend to give it a little bit more love. But whatever. I I have it on both VHS and DVD. And I'm glad I have both. So I'm I'm cool with it. Uh, as far as the live action adaptation goes, I might as well go with this on that on, on that one as well. I'm in the minority on that one. Um, I enjoy it quite much, actually, uh, despite some of the changes, obviously. But for the live action adaptation, I mean, I I go as far as to give it a six out of ten myself. Like I like it. I know not everybody does, but I personally do. So I'm all right with it, exactly how it is. Um, on that note, let's just end this thing. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I admit this episode, I'm a, I'm a little shaky this week. Like, stumbling on words and shit. And, uh, sometimes that's what happens. You know, I, I know I took three weeks off and I just, you know, had a little bit of a break and whatnot. I just needed it. Um, 
sometimes I find it, especially this past year, you know, between Halloween and Christmas and this year also doing episodes in November, I, I found I was very busy with the show, which I loved. Absolutely loved doing that whatnot. I'm a content creator, but no. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I just felt all of a sudden I was like really burnt out. And I was like, I just kept thinking to myself, I'm like, don't put something out too soon. Because then I get that Suspiria feel all over again. You guys know how I feel about that episode. I'm not a big fan of it. This one, I know, I kind of stumble on some words and whatnot. But the key points are there. And that's what's important. You know what else is important? Making sure that you subscribe, share, love this podcast. Make sure to share and subscribe. No, um, but seriously. Check it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, the whole nine yards, wherever you listen to podcasts from. You know, if you're listening to it right now, obviously you found it somewhere, right? So sometimes I wonder about that. Like, (laughs) I love when, like, I'll watch, like, a YouTube video and someone's like, make sure to subscribe on YouTube. And it's like, but I found your show. (laughs) Like, But I get it. Sometimes subscriptions, you know, you get notifications and whatnot. This digital world we live in. But... I get it. I get it. I really do. It's just sometimes I like just shitting on it just for fun. Uh, (laughs) And then there's social media, my favorite place in the whole world. Apparently, if you're on social media, you're a content creator. I did not know that. That, That's kind of rare and weird to me, but whatever. Uh, Facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero on Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero and on Twitter at WLB podcast zero. You want to know what I'm doing next? You want to know what the next episode is? What episode 117 will be? Uh, Probably coming in two weeks, by the way. Uh, Just so you're forewarned. There more than likely won't be an episode next week. If so, maybe it's a surprise. Maybe I just, poof, I surprise you with something. But odds are it's probably going to be two weeks before we get the next one. And the next one, because, you know, it's February and... It's the month of love and big hearts and we're all happy. Yeah, right. You know, this world, like seriously, the amount of fucking negativity and bitching and whining and complaining that I see. Like a friend of mine posted this thing the other day on her Instagram, like stories thing or whatever, said something about like how friendships are when we were younger and you, you became friends with someone, it was because of something that you enjoyed or you loved or you were happy about with someone else. And in today's era, it seems like friendships are bonded over the those who complain the most. Like, complainers seem like they attract each other and then everyone's complaining and everyone's miserable. And it's, oh, why are you smiling today? You just came into work. Wait, wait five minutes and work will take that smile off your face. And it's like, everyone's always got such a down look on things and whatnot. And it's like, February is supposed to be the month of love. And it's supposed to be the month of big hearts and happiness. So for next episode, because we're going to be in the month of February, we're going to talk about someone who likes ripping hearts out. No, uh, we're going to talk about my bloody Valentine from 1981. Yeah, let's talk about, you know, dead hearts. Because everybody else, apparently the world has a dead heart. I don't know. I'm just babbling. Blah, 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 blah. From the hotel, Transylvania, whatever. Uh, That's about it. I think I'm done. I think, uh, 
Yeah, I know. He's going to say it. I'm not even going to stop him. Just do it. You need to shut the fuck up. He licked my plate, you dumb bitch.